All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we talked to Felix from Curse of Lono. Felix is a singer-songwriter as well as a writer. He's got a novel in the works and a filmmaker and a really cool guy. We had a really insightful conversation and get pretty deep, I think. Um, Curse of Lono has a new album coming out called People in Cars. By the time you're hearing this, it should be out on all streaming platforms. So check it out. It's their third record, and it's got a completely different vibe coming out of the pandemic, remaking a band and diving deeper um, Felix, there's a different, he puts a different emotion, emotional intensity, diving deeper into the reservoir. If you, uh, if you remember the convo with Mike Watt, that might make sense. If you're in the Watt, check it out. We're going to check out a song off the new record. This is Stepping Out off uh, People in Cars, Curse Alono. Transmission for the sake of fate. Out in this 
Curse of Lono, beautiful, right? There's so much layers, there's an intensity in it, and there's a, the delivery of his vocal performance is really striking. Um, you can check out People in Cars on all streaming platforms now, um, as well as uh, I recommend checking out um, Curse of Lono's YouTube channel. They got really cool, like mini docs and like live performances, and like there's something to seeing some of these songs done visually that I think is equally as gratifying as listening to them. So uh, when I started looking into, into Felix and his career, I noticed that there was an overlap with mine, and uh, we both played with uh, the group um, Low Cut Connie um, from Philadelphia. And uh, so I used to play in a band called uh, Hamilton Handshake. I currently play in a band called Sea Level, RC-Level, and I've been doing that for quite some time, even during the times of um, Hamilton Handshake. And Hamilton Handshake was like this cool punk rock attitude, rolling stock, rolling stone rock band, you know, rolling stock, rolling stone rock band. And um, we played, we would play with Low Cut Cunny all the time. We would, we opened up for um, Greta Van Fleet once when they were just kind of getting off. Like, and it's amazing, right? I'm talking with someone all the way in the UK about a band that my band played with all the time. It's, it's crazy. So the seeing how small the world is in a way and how connected and like closely related the music um, scene is to some degree, like that whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing, like it's mind blowing. So it was really cool to kind of like hear someone's perspective from a completely different place, really, and seeing how similar it is. We also like kind of relate on that with the So Far shows, if anyone's ever been to a So Far show. Um, but I'll leave that for the conversation. Um, if you can like rate, subscribe, review to the podcast on the podcast platforms, one of them or all of them, if you would like, um, and really helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. And this is my chat with Felix. Um, and I wanted to jump into it by asking you about low cut Connie. Oh, wow. <laughs> that great, great bunch of guys. I don't even know how we ended up on that tour. Um, I think it was their agent is a friend of mine and we just did a tour with another act and, and he said, would, would you do this show? And to be honest, I'd not heard of low cut Connie at that time. Yeah. And, and he was like, look, you've, you've got to do it. It's going to be great. So, um, <laughs> we went out and we had a great time with those guys. It was, it was a lot of fun. They, they are a lot of fun. I, uh, I played in a band, um, called Hamilton handshake. Um, one of many bands, but that band did, they were friends with low cut. So we would play with them all the right. time in Cleveland and low cut just went ham man. every show, like no matter the room, they, they bring in that piano. 
And I'm like, man, you're hustling the to want to bring that piano to any show. <laughs> like, oh, we 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 did a whole tour, and every every day carrying that thing up the stairs, up the fire escape, or whatever, just to get it in. There was one show actually, I can't remember where it was. I think it was Nottingham or Manchester, and they couldn't get the piano in the room, and they they actually just did it. They improvised it the whole show. Adam was playing guitar instead, mm-hmm. and it still sounded great. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the energy, mad, mad bunch of guys. <laughs> yeah, the energy they bring is just gonna. No matter what, it's gonna be a fun time. Mm. Oh man, yeah, I just definitely. saw um, I saw Bright Eyes last night, and like they had a piano. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You hip to them? <laughs> yeah, I love them. They were meant to play. I had tickets, and then it got postponed because of the pandemic. And um, when they come over, I'm definitely gonna go and see them. Nice, nice. I pick up, I pick up some Bright Eyes vibes musically with your stuff. Um, yeah, there's definitely a bit of inspiration in there. Definitely. <laughs> and like I, I've I my girlfriend got me into them as of recently. Like I grew up with a bunch of people real into them, you know? Like I feel yeah. like if you're into them, you're into them. And like for yeah, me definitely. it was fresh. And like but seeing them live was something else and they had a fucking piano. I'm like, ah it makes sense. You're playing a big room, you have a you have a crew, but it made me think about talking with you the day and I was like, Man, I remember when low cut they're they're bringing in the full like upright in these small rooms and shit. That's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> they had to buy one on eBay. Yeah. They were emailing before the tour and they go, Where are we gonna get piano from? And then they were just looking at stuff on eBay and I go, I think we can get that one for, you know, a couple of hundred quid and that's what they did. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Very nice. Um any so I saw that you guys are you guys are touring. Are you planning to come to the States at all? Well, we hope to, you know, it's been a, it's been a crazy couple of years because right. <laughs> we did a lot of touring. We went to the States a couple of times in 2019. And then we had a Germany, a headline tour of Germany that was postponed, I think, three times. And then the third time around, I said, Look, cancel it. It's not fair to make people who paid for tickets come back, you know, yeah. two years later, let them buy a new ticket. Then we had a support uh, tour for three or four weeks around Europe in March that was canceled because of the pandemic. Well, it was pushed back to next year. And now we've got the first bunch of headline shows in over two years, starting at the at the end of this month. So it's it's a weird it's a weird time. <laughs> it's a definitely a weird time. Definitely. But I'm excited about it. it. I'm excited about it. I sort of done the opposite to what you normally do, which is you know, every tour you want to go up a level. I've actually deliberately stepped it down. I said, yeah. look, we need to reconnect with people. So bring it right down and play small clubs, um, probably quite a bit smaller than what we did last time around on, on a few of the cities. And I just, I want to reconnect with people a little bit. And I think that's the whole, the aim for this tour is just that, you know, play the yeah. show, then have a few drinks with people at the bar afterwards and and see where we get to after that. Well, you know, that's so much of like, the DIY beauty, like not not that that the DIY setting, but you know, what I mean, like when you get to hang out with the artists after seeing them play and like interact. With I that. think it's really cool. I think right. that's you know that that sort of I don't know. We find that some of the super fans who follow us around and who come to every show, that's how it started. They saw us at a gig. We they we spent half an hour talking to them, having a beer with them, and next time they bring ten friends, and next time their friends bring friends. And that's kind of how, how things snowball and, and, and how you, you know, it's, like it's being out in the trenches, you know, right. converting. If you're not on daytime radio and, you know, doing all that sort of stuff, that's how you make, how you create your fan base, isn't it? Right. It's, it's sort of one gig at a time. How many people can you convert? Yeah. And like that, I don't know, there's something to, it's kind of like, um, 
it's kind of like almost music is like or or, or artist per se is more of the persona of the artist right like like mm. when you think of like um Paul McCartney to John Lennon, well, they're both a Beatle. You know what I mean? What makes yeah. you like Paul better than John or vice versa? It's their personality. Yeah. And that's how you yeah, meet exactly. people, you know? You just you hang out with people, you show their thing, Definitely. and like either they dig it or they don't. So that's that's really cool that you're kind of re-engaging in that. And like I think that process I think it's important. It's been a yeah. weird, you know, we were you know, most most musicians have not been able to do anything over the last two years. Yeah. And it's to to now go out and sort of reconnect i think that's that that's important to me not just to sort of be humble and, and do that but also i think i need that as an artist i think i need to see see the people and and, and sort of have a beer with them and, and work out why why we're doing this again after two and a half years you know right right and like i don't know, like you, you'll hear like big bands break up and the one guy he started doing small shows because the romanticism of like the DIY lifestyle and like working upward, but there is something to that, you know, there's something yeah. to like seeing that progression of like, Oh, there's Tom and there's the six people that like he told me that would like my stuff and they're all here. Wow. That's cool. I don't know. Like there's, it's, that's, I think so. And I also think there's, I don't know. It, it, to me, it feels like it's the really electric shows I've been to in my life. The really magical moments of live music, a large chunk of those have been in small clubs rather than, you know, huge concert halls or stadiums or arenas. Yes, of course, you, you know, you, you get those massive shows that blow your mind as well. And, you know, festival performances that really blow you away. But right. I just think going to a club show, there's something more direct in it. And I think there's something about it that just... I don't know. It's just easier to get that magic going. I think. I definitely agree. What was that? What what what's one of the the smallest venues that had the in like smallest venue shows that had the biggest impact on you? Oh wow! <laughs> that that I've played or that I've been to as a fan. You've been to that that changed your like being in that small audience like and being that close. I went to see a band. Oh, there's a few. Um, I went to see a band called Ultra Medicine Show. Okay. Um, an American sort of yeah, Americana, yeah. almost bluegrassy band, and they played here in London at the Borderline, which doesn't exist anymore. It's like 200, 250 cap venue, and it was just electric. It was absolutely electric, and we hadn't really in London seen a lot of this sort of country bluegrass stuff. So it was, it was quite. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was just absolutely electric in there, and. Um, Deer Tick, I saw in the same same oh, venue. Cool. Yeah. That was that was absolutely wild as well. And I'm just trying to think. Um, John Murray is a he's actually a friend of mine. But the first time I saw him, he wasn't a friend. He was just an artist I went to see. I saw him at the railway in Winchester. Yeah. In front of about fifty or sixty people, and I'm, my mind was completely blown. And we've been very very good friends ever since. Um, you know, we, we ended up hanging out afterwards and yeah. we've toured together since then, but it's, it's those small shows when it's, it's just the artist. It's almost like they're talking to you directly. And I think that's, that's really special. I definitely agree with that. And then, and then on the opposite end of that too, like their touring managers, like, oh crap, we failed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. But everyone in there is like completely moved. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, definitely. So like. Inter, um, kind of the uh, move off of that, like diving into like 
into your personal journey into music before yeah. with some of these shows because you were did you start writing or playing music first oh i probably started playing music first yeah um i wasn't very good to be honest i just i wanted to join a punk band so yeah. i sort of learned three three chords and um and started playing and it, it took a while i think for me to really get into writing properly that took quite a long time i think it, it sort of you have to write a hundred really shit songs before anything starts to stick i think that's that's just the way I mean, that's how it worked for me at least it, it took me a while to to get into it i definitely agree with that i you gotta as far as writing goes you gotta you gotta turn out the the duds before one one like absolutely like, <laughs> worth absolutely um i just meant writing in general like because I know you, you've been working on a novel. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I've, I mean, I wrote a lot of – I used to write a lot of poetic prose and poetry and stuff. And then I was working on a novel a while ago. I Actually, I put that to bed for a little while because yeah. I, I worked on it. I, I got shortlisted for a – there's an award over here for the best um, – it, it's basically you write two, three chapters and a proposal, and then it's for the best unpublished – book and it's to try and get publishers interested to put money on the table so you can finish right. writing it i got shortlisted for that over here and it was it was really cool and i was talking to editors and publishers and stuff but the truth was at the end of the day it was just not as good as i wanted it to be mm -hmm. and i just had to park it for a little bit and i was on i think i was on the 14th draft or something of this whole this massive manuscript and I just was starting to get lost in it. And I just went, you know, I've got to put this aside, make another record, and then I'll come back to it. And now that was now four records ago. <laughs> so it is it is actually just this weekend, I was talking to a friend about it who who actually read one of the first drafts. And he was going, when are you going to finish that? It's, you know, he, he loved it. And I was going, well, I'm going to come back to it, but I just, I've got to finish this, you know, this cycle with this album. And there's probably one more record to go. And then I'm going to go back to, to doing some of that stuff, I think. Nice. Yeah, I like I can't fathom like I've been talking with a buddy of mine who just put out a film and like mm. th to compare like any like kind of other creative endeavor that to like music like man music makes it seems way easier and it's not. But you know what I mean, but compared to like putting out a, a novel or a film, you're like, "Woo, we just record it." <laughs> like <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I think it's I don't know. I think those things are are very collaborative as well, you know. Um, like we're working on. I'm, I, I love making. I went to London Film School, yeah, and London Film Academy. So I love making documentaries and doing that sort of stuff. Just on the side, we do little music docs, and we're working on one at the moment. We um, for, for a friends of mine, Alabama Three, who did the song for um, for the Sopranos. You know, oh, the song called "Woke okay. Up This Morning." Yeah, and it's now twenty-five years of that. So we're trying to make a film about them with Irvin Welsh, the guy who wrote Train Spotting, and it's a really interesting process because you can only get so involved, and then someone else takes over, and someone else is doing this. So it's sort of these things can take years, and then they don't get made, or they do get made, and right. you know, but you're just one cog in you know in in the machine. Whereas I think songwriting nowadays, you can sit down, you can write a tune, and record it yourself. And probably be gigging it by the end of the week, and that's a you know it's a, it's a different. It's, I think it's a whole, whole different art form. No, I definitely agree with that. 
And that's what I mean. Like, there's way more steps to make it, like, make it a thing. That's what, like, music mm. in the sense, you know what I mean? Like, just like you said, you can write it and put it out and be like, hey, I put out a new song. Um, yeah. But, you know, to, to publish a book, there's so much. I mean, there, there are a little more easier ways to do it now with certain websites and such. But, like, still, yeah. just to write it and have, you know, like, it's so hard to get someone to listen. Hey, listen to my two-minute song. Nah, can you shorten that to ten seconds? Like, yeah. <laughs> can you listen? Can you read my novel? It's going to take you a month. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not not that easy. No, and like, and just I definitely, it's way bigger collaboration. Like to make it to make a even like a short film. Like I, I've yeah. watched a few of your your guys's documentaries on the band, and like they're really yeah. well done. What's that process like? Thank you. Are, is that all you? No, that's um, that's usually it's between me and and a guy called Greg Houston, and Greg is just the nicest dude on the planet. So when we went out to Joshua Tree to to work on this on the on the previous album, uh, that's when I met Greg, and I said, "Do you want to come out?" And he's going, "Yeah, man, that sounds cool." And he turns up with a microphone and a camera, and basically does the rest. And um, so we've done it. We've done a few bits with him now, and we've done a bunch of music videos with him as well. And he's just he just sort of gets it done. You just, yeah. you know, we did these these live um, recording video sessions, the Karma sessions, okay. that we've just released the first two songs. We've got another one coming out shortly. And we just went to the studio and got set up. And Greg turned up with another couple of camera guys, and we just didn't have to think about it. They just got on with it, you know. And that's that's quite, I don't know, it's an interesting process. when you When you make music and you write songs and then they get recorded, and then someone else brings a visual element in, and I, I, I've always found that really fascinating. Right. I always find that really fascinating. I, it, I definitely like it's like because what it's like what they choose to kind of, especially when it's just kind of like a performance, you know, what they yeah. choose to kind of focus on, like what part is the yeah. action within the song. Yeah, and like definitely. that. De he definitely did a great job, and like I noticed from the documentary, like uh, that sixteen-minute one. Like within yeah. these films, like there's a there's a tone which is you guys that carries through. So when I was yeah. going through everything, I'm like, that translates to everything, and I think it really like it it makes a, a beautiful tone of like who you guys are as a unit. And like I think having awesome. him carry through that visual like component really really like does does the band a favor. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And he's pick he's sort of almost you know the sixth member of the band now you know when we do whenever it's anything important that we do go it's greg around let's drag him along as well <laughs> see what he comes out with um one thing I, I noticed especially with this batch of tunes is um you're kind of like vocally compared to the first two records you're really honing in on like this kind of lower register and like yeah i've never sung so quietly before you yeah know? it was it was a you know it was a difficult time it was locked down i'd I'd had a pretty rough, my, my father passed away just shortly before and I was not in the mood for making a loud rock and roll record. It was, just, it was a very, very um, emotional time and the material was starting to, it started out quite lighthearted, some of the songs. By that point that my writing was pretty, you know, serious stuff and I just, I, I just wanted to back off and just make it as intimate as I could. And I did that on the demos that I sent to our producer, to Ollie Baston. And 
he he called me up after he listened to the demos and he said, "Look, I, I love the songs, but most of all, I love the way you're singing. I want to mm-hmm. I want to preserve that. I want to keep it as quiet and as intimate as we can. So it's almost like a whisper in your ear." And I have to say, it's listening back to it. It sounds the most like me when I'm talking. So it just feels the most honest as a result. You know, I mean, yeah. I think lyrically it's pretty it's pretty open and honest as well. But I think the sound of it all just feels like I'm telling a story. And there's no there's no great vocal performance, you know, as people like to like to call it. It's it's just, you know, most of them are done in one or two takes. It was it's just keep it as quiet as I could and just, you know, get get the vibe across. So so yeah, it's definitely it's the low register. You can hear now how I talk. It's basically I've tried to keep it in the same register and as quietly as I talk and and make it sound we hope that it would therefore sound uh and come across as honest and and authentic was that a was that oddly harder to do you know what it wasn't it i once i fell into that it's much harder to you know you just have to you have to go with it because normally if you if you're not 100 percent sure about what you're doing pushing your voice a bit and, and really going for it you can sort of put in a performance, you know, right. whereas this was just, I had to be 100% confident in the material. And um, whereas other times you can try and cover up, you know, any lack in the material by sort of, you know, by, by singing a bit harder or, you know, delivering a really wonderful vocal take. Whereas here it was just like, right, that's the song. These are the words. Let's just get them out there. And once I got into it, actually, I, I loved singing like that. Yeah. Yeah. It like, so I, I've I've talked with uh, Xanders from uh, the Circle Jerks, and he put out a record and kind of had the same approach, and like, mm. like, but he, his producer was like, "Go down a minor third and he was like, "Okay," but, but there is definitely like, an honesty to it, and I noticed it right when I started listening to this record compared to the others, and like, yeah. It's I in my mind I'm like oh man if I would attempt to do that I would I would biff that way harder you know what I mean like uh, <laughs> but but I think that I think your comment on like the material being that confident in what you're saying makes it easier to convey because it's well just... yeah and it wasn't it wasn't just the confidence I was with with everything that was happening you know the band had, had stopped playing live because of the pandemic there was you know I lost my dad I lost the next partner of many years a few months later. And there was a lot going on. So I wasn't as focused, you know, normally you make a record and go, well, we need to get to this and then we need right. to tour and then we need yeah. to, you've got all these dreams and aspirations and ambitions. And to be honest, there was none of that. It, I just wanted to go in and, and have something take my mind off things and just get this record done. So I, I didn't feel the pressure. So I, I felt quite happy once Ollie, the producer said, no, that sounds great. Let's do it like that. I was like, okay, cool. And and then it, I, I got very comfortable with it very quickly. Mm. Okay, that makes. I mean, like I don't know. I relate to that. Like uh, I lost my mom not too long ago, during the whole. Like, I'm sorry to hear that, man. I'm sorry to hear, man. You you got double dipped here, my friend. So, oh, <laughs> but uh, but I I definitely relate to that. Trying to like have that thing to to focus on the kind of like yeah make it easier to like understand everything as it's you know as it's happening because like for yeah. me, my band's been putting out a record and recording stuff but also doing these and like diving into people's like thought processes and just yeah. like you know i mean this has helped a lot too 
and like so I can yeah so that yeah it's beautiful man and like I there's definitely like listening to this record compared to the last few not putting the last few down <laughs> no by, by no means doing that but like there's like the layers of the harmonies that accompany you and like the the overall kind of like um what's the word I'm looking for like tone not not tonality but like layering of instruments when they come in and how they yeah the atmospherics yeah, yeah yeah it's really really well done and i think your voice just adds more to that impact it becomes like everything's kind of well, supporting was, that and it's really it was a really very beautiful. different it was a very different way of making a record because the the first record was just me and the producer with uh, ollie and we just played everything and you know it was our first attempt at finding our feet with this kind of material and then the pre the last record as i fell was more a band record mm. and you know ollie was still very much and i was very much driving it but we had to sort of create and maintain space for everyone to do something on everything and with this record because we couldn't do that it was a lockdown you couldn't have everyone in the studio at the same time so it was myself ollie Basin, and the engineer ian were in the studio and the other band members would come in and do their bits one at a time. Yeah. And, but it meant that we were building it to start with. And then, you know, we did the first half, half of the album like that. And then, you know, the other band members started getting jobs. And, and by the time we, the second half of the record was just me, myself and the producer basically. And then our pedal steel player, Joe Harvey White. And then we had other, other musicians pop in for, a, you know, half a day or a day to tidy things up and finish things off. And so it was a different record. We were, we were sort of free, although it was very difficult to, to not have all the, the band, my, my usual bandmates there. It then sort of freed us up just to sort of really follow the songs and, and do what felt right for that. And so that kind of had a different, had a slightly different result, I think. And, you know, um, and you can hear that in the record. There's some songs which are much more, band songs where you can hear all the parts and there's others which are a bit more spaced out right right no definitely and i think you know it's interesting like okay well uh, fill in the blank john's not here to play mandolin the whole track i guess we don't need mandolin on this track you know what i mean like exactly exactly <laughs> not putting john exactly down, but no john's a great mandolin player but, you know <laughs> the best yeah that's the greatest. The, that, that that is the point you know yeah. and um and that's why you know it, it, as, as tough as it was for me to, during all that time to, you know, when all this other dark stuff was happening, to slowly be sort of, to watch the band disintegrate right. in a way yeah. because of because of the pandemic, you know. Yeah. And people, people were getting frustrated with the process and also just having to put food on the table so they had to get other jobs because, you know, we weren't, gig, we weren't able to gig just like everyone else. And, you know, that was really difficult, but it was also... You know, it was also liberating. It meant that I could just do it the way I wanted to do it. And, um, you know, and that that's quite a nice thing as well, creatively at least. Definitely. Well, and I imagine it opens more possibilities for... So, like, uh, like, uh, did who who stuck around? Like, did everyone come back now that stuff is kind of, like, settling down? Or no, 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 not at all. Oh, um, no. It's, it, no. We've got uh, the, guy, the guy who played Pedal Steel, who does all the atmospherics, he then... I said to him, look, we've got to do some shows. And it was actually wasn't even for the tours. I said, we need to do some in-stores. You know, I don't know if you do those over in the States, like but in the here we do stores? that. If you, 
Yeah, you, you go around, you play the records. A lot of the record stores here have, um, you know, little clubs almost inside. You know, they have a stage and they hold 200 people or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and when you release a record, rather than them buying tickets, those people who've bought a CD or a vinyl, they can come to the show. Uh, so it's okay. yeah, yeah. so you do that, and it really helps with sales and stuff. Right. So to put that together, I spoke to the the guitarist and, and pedal steel player who played on a lot of the album, and he said to me, "Well, how many players do you want?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." And he's like, "Should we go with four or five? And I said, "Yeah, sounds good." <laughs> and he just he plays with so many people. He just put put a bunch of people together, and that's what you see now on these karma sessions, and they they are great players yeah. and. It just frees me up, you know. They just turn up and do their thing, and they're great guys to hang out with as well. And then there's a girl called Bo Lucas who I've I've known her. I've been watching her band for years, and they weren't doing much. And I said, "Well, Bo, I've got all these female vocals on the album. Do you fancy just coming along?" You know. <laughs> so she's now doing backing vocals for us, and and you know, it's it's just a really nice bunch of people, and it frees me up. You know, they they learn their stuff. They're great players, and um it it showed that there was it, it you know they showed me that there was life after the last lineup you know because yeah. there was a, a while where i thought well that's it now you know everyone's right. gone yeah. might as well call it a day and then you know luckily i've had a few people some really really good people around me who pretty much carried me through that you know and uh, i was i was ready not to do any more shows okay now come on man gotta do a few gotta do something and so it's been really good and it's you know and it's I'm I'm really happy with how it's sounding and how it's feeling. Was it a what's what's Bo's band? Uh, they're called Lucas and King, Lucas and, and King. it's just cool. a duo. It's two girls, and it's it's just really you know I've seen them around. They're they're, they're not far from London, so I've actually in Brighton now, but they were in Winchester, Southampton that way, and so I always saw them on festivals and stuff, you know, and just doing doing small club gigs and stuff. And they, I think they opened for us a few times. And um, she's and Bo's just got a great voice. So I just, just when she wasn't doing anything, I pinched yeah. her for my band <laughs> for a bit. <laughs> was it a well? The, the the kind of speak on those people that are just like there to get you through that shitty time. Like those are so those mm. are the friends that are beyond important. You know that yeah, we absolutely. everyone's blessed to have. And like so that's that's I'm glad to hear that they that that the that core support was there. Like no, you got to keep going. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. And they weren't even forcing me. They were just like, oh, come on, man, just do a few shows. God, just, we just need a little. And the guys at the label were very, very good because they, I, they, they almost got to the point where they were annoying me because, you know, I was like, no, just leave me alone. But then, man, we, you know, people like us, we spend our lives trying to find someone who believes in us and pushes us a bit. Right. And I was going, well, now that finally I've got some people pushing me, I've got to actually go with it. And it was the right thing, and it worked, you know, and they, they sort of helped me along and uh got things moving and and you know and, and joe harvey white the, the pedal steel and lead guitarist in the band he's he put the whole band together you know very quickly yeah. i think it took him about five minutes he goes <laughs> we need him on bass him on drums and you know and it's a it's an interesting lineup so uh chris jones uh cj we call him the the the, the drummer he's an amazing drummer but he also plays piano huh. so and the bassist um tom sansbury he plays bass, but he also then some songs he'll play uh, piano on. Some yeah. songs he'll play bass synth with one hand and piano with the other. Sick. And and they all sing. Yeah. And Joe Harvey White plays either pedal steel or he plays lead guitar. And so between them, we can have all sorts of different textures. 
right. without really adding more. Most bands add more and more and more people. Right. You know, well, but now we need a piano, so let's add one of those in. Now we need, you know, whereas here we're quite fluid and we're able to sort of move things around a little bit, and that, that's that's really helped. That's amazing. Like, the kind of, I, I, seeing Bright Eyes last night, they had like a 17-piece band. And like, it's like they? yeah, uh, they had a huge ensemble. So it sounds like, and like they're, they're hitting the same type of things like that you just kind of said that these like handful of guys can do. So like they have, but you know what? I give you I give you an example. I I saw um I saw Bonnie Vare at Green Man Festival. Yeah. Um, when the first full album came out, and um, and I it there was I think I'd had a few beers, but I think there was four of them, and it was the most mesmerizing thing I've ever seen. It was just unbelievable, and it's not a big festival. It's like I don't know five ten thousand people. But they had them in the palm of their hand. You could hear a pin drop. It was absolutely magical. And then with the next record, I went to see him at Hammersmith Apollo. And there must have been 10 or 12 people on stage. And it just didn't have that vulnerability Mm. of these four people. I think it was four people making this huge sound with these harmonies and stuff. It was just beautiful. And then once you've got twelve or fourteen, I mean, man, yeah, then you—it's like Phil Collins' backing band, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you know, with a triangle in the corner and whatever. And that that just doesn't, you know. I just think it's really cool when you see a small group of, you know, musicians doing their thing together and moving around and and doing playing different instruments. I just think that that just really adds something to it. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like a, a painting where there's too much detail and you can't appreciate it. Yeah, it's like. It's yeah. like looking at a, a cubist thing where you're like, ah, I can, I see what they're going for, you know, <laughs> or what it's supposed and to be. And it's also, it, you then, if the ensemble's too big, you have lots going on all the time right. and everything's happening all the time. Whereas if, you know, with us, the, the songs where, where CJ plays piano, you'll have piano, pedal, steel, and bass, or ba- a piano, pedal, steel, and bass synth. And I add a little bit of guitar on some of those, and some of them I don't. But it's, our pedal steel player doesn't play your traditional nashville country pedal steel you know it's all the atmospherics you hear on the album all that weird ambient stuff going on in the background that's what he's doing he's got this huge pedal board and he's playing through that and it just it it adds a lot of depth without there having to be 15 people on stage and it's i think that's quite cool no definitely like pedal steel is an amazing instrument um yeah and like it's crazy because like just hone like sliding in on one chord with enough like delay mm. and reverb fills the room, you know what I mean? Like, and I yeah, think totally. Yeah, and like with with those live se- uh, sessions you guys have done, I think that was beautifully illustrated. Um, mm. What's it like? So playing these like uh, record like record store gigs, it's like the crowd because uh, there we have some record stores that do shows in Ohio, but it not doesn't sound like the same like t- type of type of circuit. Now, th- do people that go to this are they more like? intense listeners like or do you notice like there's a difference between like a a pub crowd and like a record store crowd well it depends who where you go and what you do so we did somewhere it was just me on guitar and joe on on pedal steel and we'd play four or five songs and then you do a signing you sign records for them and you have 20 30 people there and it's it's you know it's in the it's in a record shop right and then there's others where it's full-on you know where you have a full-on club and there is there are some that are quite big now um, around London that that do big numbers, 
where the record store tour, the the in-store tour, they call it, um, can take an artist, you know, way up the charts because they can sell five, 10,000 records Jeez, instead of yeah. tickets. Right. And so we're not at that level, you know, but I've seen bands do that. Whereas for us, they can just be like cool club gigs. There's uh, um, a record shop called Rough Trade. Um, I think that's one in I think that's one in New York actually. Right. But we've got a few. We've got one in Bristol. We've got one here in London, and we've got a couple in London actually. And you play there, and that's like playing a club for you know two hundred and fifty people, three hundred people, but everyone's bought a record, and it's I don't know. It's it, it can it's it's the fans. It's it's the proper fans who come to stuff like that. Okay, so that that sounds way cool. Like I'm like, man, that's yeah, a, that's a good way to do the to, to move the move the album. <laughs> like, because like usually you know here it's like you yeah, you have it set up next to it, and they're like, well, we buy your ticket, we'll follow you on the internet. Oh, thanks. <laughs> like, yeah, if they do that. <laughs> um, like, does that like kind of relate to some of these like uh so far gigs? Like I saw you guys did one of those like a while ago. Oh, that's a long time ago, yeah. Yeah. Do, do you notice that same type of, like, kind of crowd going to, like, stuff like that? Because we have that. Well, like... so far it's very diff- different. I mean, I haven't yeah. done one in a long time. Um, but so far when we when when we did those, you knew you would have a full room. But right. the people who bought a ticket to a So Far Sounds gig didn't know who they'd be seeing. Right. You know, you yeah. would buy a ticket and you'd go, you wouldn't know where where it was. You'd know the area in London, but you didn't know the venue. And I, this is how I think it used to work. And it's like the day before or the day of the gig, they'd say, this is the address. And that's, you know, you turn up there and three, four, five bands would play. Right. And, and it was, and they would be amazing shows because people were real. Those were for, it's a, it's a different vibe because those were for real music fans, but they didn't necessarily know your band. So they would be there and they'd have no idea who they were seeing, but they just wanted to see some new music. So it was a different vibe because you re- they wanted to be on your side. They wanted to be converted. So, um, you know, whereas the people who come to a record store show, they bought the vinyl, you know, they, they know your stuff. Got they it. care already. Yeah. Whereas the Sofa Sounds, it's really, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a room full of people who, you know, who are very horny to get some new music right. and all you have to do is put it out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, that's that's one that, like, so we have that in the States and we've played one of them and we ended up playing in, like, a a, a card factory, like, a, a, a mm. factory that printed cards. <laughs> like, um, but the whole thing, like, because I, that was with the band where I was in, like, doing all the booking and, like, they're like, yeah, we're doing this thing. People just sign up for it. They don't know who you're going to see, and they don't know where you're going to be. They just find out that day, so we're doing that. I'm like, sounds like no one's going to be there. <laughs> like, are they, are they always full um, in the States? I mean, over here, everyone I've played at, and I mean, they did one in a living room, <laughs> and there's like 50 people crammed into the living room with cans of beer, and it was, it was brilliant. Yeah. No, that blows my mind. It was always good. Like, like, because it, it, the 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 thing itself seemed like the the biggest gamble no one would want to take. Like, all right, we're gonna drive to this card factory downtown, find parking maybe, and like <laughs> see bands we don't know if we'll like. Like, I I agree, it's definitely a, a niche audience that wants to be converted. Yeah, right. They want to be moved. Yeah, 
And like that's that's the crowd you want to play for. Um, exactly. I've actually there's a, a new thing. Well, I don't know how new it is, but it's a promoter who the label are talking to at the moment, and they've they've done this with some bigger acts, and now they're doing it with some smaller acts, and they do tours around the UK in villages, hmm. so tiny, and the the idea is that you're playing places where no one else normally plays. So these people get very excited about it and they check you out on Spotify. They go on YouTube. They want to hear every song. And they're so excited about the fact that someone's coming to their village in the middle of nowhere that you get 100, 200, 300, even 400 people turn out at the village hall wow. and, and, you know, and listen to your stuff. So we're, we haven't done one of those yet, but I know a few people who've just done, you know, UK tours like that and you can do 30 40 venues or in just just in the uk yeah. because it's you know it's it's just places where where no one else would normally play that sounds amazing i don't that, that's yeah the, that's the house that's the basement show you know <laughs> yeah oh, what are you guys planning on doing are we are we doing what are you planning on doing one well, I think so. I mean, we're just waiting to hear now what, what the guy comes back with. He's mm. doing, He's a promoter who's done some really big acts, mm. and he's now trying to do more interesting stuff. So he's doing these, like I said, these village tours. He's now also come up with this whole circuit of caves. Where caves? He's, he's booking, yes, caves so around sick. the UK. And yeah. he's going, we're going to get bands to play in, in caves around the UK. And, you know, to not huge audiences, but, you know, 100, 200 people. And so he's he's obviously someone who's I've not met him. The label were telling me about that. He's someone who has obviously been very successful as a promoter and is now wanting to do something a bit different. And so that those are that's the kind of stuff that interests me now. I, I, I think after the pandemic, you know, of course, I want to go back out and do, do you know, really good shows and stuff. But I, I love the idea of doing some weird stuff like that as well. Right. Did that, did the whole like kind of shut down, like kind of be like, well, I, I don't have to do every gig. Like it kind of makes you like pick you know and what? choose. It, it has. <laughs> and there's some people I know who still go after everything. Yeah. And I I have to say, you know, I, I really, it was a really hard time those two years, but I really enjoyed the time with my, with my wife, and my kids. And I'm now, like, I just had this it's quite a big festival we had offered, but it's like, well, you're on it. 1.30 in the afternoon, you have to drive six hours to get there, mm. six hours to get back, and you're like, not really getting paid as much as we'd like to for it. And I'm like, you know what, it's the middle of my kid's holiday. No, I'm not going to do it, you know, and I'll do the ones that, that I care about, and I'm not going to just say yes to everything anymore. And I think it's quite nice. It, it's it's liberating to feel like, for, for years, I would take every gig I got offered, you know, yeah. just as long as, you know, as long as you're not, losing loads of money on it but you was like well people want you to play in some place i've never heard of and you know they're willing to pay for it then you got to go there that's your job right whereas now i suppose it is still my job but my job's also you know being a family man and just sort of you know do, doing all that sort of stuff and and you know so i'm, I'm not like you say I, I don't take every gig anymore I'm, i am being more selective with it right i think that that's was... what i want to that's why I want to play in caves. You know? <laughs> I hundred and fifteen percent want to play a cave tour. I have never <laughs> played in the UK, but if that guy is willing to take a gamble, let me send him my band. Um, <laughs> I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be amazing. 
oh man, there's one cave venue out by us that I have a friend that's in a Viking band and they recorded an oh, wow. album there, right? And I'm like, that's so fitting for you guys. And, wait, that's they do shows brilliant. there? <laughs> Let's put something together. I want to play in a cave. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> But um, I think that's the beauty of the kind of like step back is like to really realize what you have to do and what you can do and what benefits like kind of the greater like uh, presentation of you in a way and like mentally and like physically <coughs> and just like for the band and for the audience. And like um, during the shutdown, though, did you have like a did you develop a new like writing habit? Yeah, I did. Or I mean, routine, I should I... say. There was a routine, um, but that's been happening before then. I, I got into yeah. this thing called Morning Pages. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. Which is, I had a bit of writer's block before, God, it was before the previous album. And I can't remember I was talking to someone about this. Um, and they said, oh, try this. And I, it, the, the idea is every morning when you get up, um, I get myself a cup of coffee. I sit down and I've got these notebooks and I will write three pages of A4. So a big notebook, three pages. It takes me 40 minutes. Mm. Anything that comes into my head. So anything. So you might sit down and go, oh, I like this coffee. Oh, shit, it's a bit hot. Oh, man, weird dreams. That's like anything. doesn't right. matter. You know, you just write whatever comes into your head. And I found after a while, it didn't take me long to work this out, that the first page is usual total gibberish of just weirdness. And then often on the second page, stuff starts coming up because you're not stopping. You're just writing, writing, writing. Stuff starts popping into your head that I found incredibly interesting. You start wrestling with stuff. And often by page three, you've resolved it. And I found it a really interesting way to unblock, you know, when I had writer's block. And it's it helped me sleep at night. It's calmed me down because my brain is very active and this I found it a really interesting habit to get into. And when it then came to making this new album, People in Cars, you know, I'd written a bunch of songs during the, the good times, you know, 2019, um, the band did I don't know how many tours, and it was brilliant. We finished the year on a headline tour that was, you know, mostly, sold, almost all of it was sold out in advance before we got there. And, you know, then did a few shows with Alabama 3, on their anniversary tour, which was huge shows, which were amazing. And everything was great. So I had these songs. And then when the dark stuff started to happen, the pandemic, my dad's death, four weeks after my dad passed away, my uncle passed away. Two months after that, my ex-partner passed away. And it just got very, very heavy. You know, my mum was really struggling. And it it was, you know, it was my, you know, obviously the band was breaking up. It was a very heavy time. And some of these things... I just couldn't sit down and try and write a song, you know, three verses and a chorus about my dad. That was just not possible. It, right. That, you know, it just, it, it, I couldn't do that. It just, it, it, yeah, to be honest, it felt disrespectful. And two, I don't think I could do that justice. You know, it was right. too intense. So I then adapted that morning pages thing mm -hmm. to songwriting. And I just went, so the, 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 the weeks after my father passed away, um, I would spend whenever I, it got a bit heavy emotionally. And it was, uh, I have to say, it was, I mean, for anyone who loses a parent, it's terrible. But with my dad, I was with him the last night in the hospital and it was the most awful thing I've ever witnessed. I've never seen such suffering. It was absolutely um, 
appalling. And so to try and process that, I would sit down and just write anything that came into my head. And so the morning pages became something I'd start doing several times a day. And a lot of the lyrics um, for some of the songs on the album came, the, the song Man Down came out pretty much in its entirety in one of those writing sessions. The song Time Slipping, I just pressed record and took the guitar. And that's a nine minute something song. Yeah. The demo of that was nearly half an hour long. It was just, <laughs> I literally pressed record. I had no idea what I was going to do. So there was a lot of stream of consciousness stuff happening. And that was really interesting for me because I realized that when I stopped trying to write and if I gave it enough space and enough time, um, the words I wanted, the words I needed to say would come out anyway. And it's it's strange because in some ways I don't feel I have as much ownership of it because it just sort of happened. Right. You know, when you sit down and you slave over the rhymes of a verse and a chorus and whatever, it's yours. You know, whereas this stuff, a lot of it just came out and it was, but it, in a way that makes it feel much more honest to me. Yeah. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Like I, cause they kind of like let your subconscious like direct, direct where it needs to go. And like, because I, I definitely agree with that when you really hone in on it and you really, you know, hash it out compared to like letting it. So now like, I guess, is that, is that like, how, have you still been doing that? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been writing that much the last few months because, you know, we, we did the record and then I've, I've just started again. I, I'm a sporadic writer, so mm. I tend to not write very much. And then I sit down and go, shit, it's time to make a new record. I saw John Prine uh, in one of these record shop things over here. Nice. And he said, he said, I always know when my wife books me a hotel room for a week because he says he did all his writing in, in, in hotel rooms. That's where he liked to write. He goes, well, my wife books me a week in a cheap hotel. I know it's time to make a new record. <laughs> and I'm a bit like that. I don't, I, I have a notebook for for words, for lyrical, not even whole lyrics, but just ideas, yeah. themes, concepts, and, you know, things, memories that I want to write about at some point. It's just words. And then I have my sort of, you know, demo thing, which is where I just plug in my guitar and sing anything that comes into my head. And when it's time to make a record, I sit down and I go through. Last time, I think I had 230 snippets of audio. Jeez. And yeah. I go through and go, well, that's shit and that's shit and that's <laughs> shit. And, oh, I like that one. How the hell did I do that? You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's really cool because I do it in the moment. So I never, when I go through these these audio clips, I don't remember most of them. I go, oh, wow, that's cool. Where did that come from? I don't remember recording it, you know, six months right. earlier or three months earlier. And that's how I then build a record. I then sit down and go, right, I've got all of these musical ideas that I think could work. And then I've got all these lyrical ideas. And then I see if they, if I can put them together and if they'll play with each other and if they get on and if they, if I can put, get them to live in a song together. And then I sit down and then I have to write the choruses or the verses or the intro or the words might just be a concept. And then I have to sit down and, and, and well, you know, write, write the lyrics and the poetry that goes with it. Um, but I, that's how I build the foundation. So, but until it's time to make a record, it's just these fragments flying around. So, but it's definitely how I want to continue to write. It's, it was really eye opening because I didn't do it at, because I thought I'd get good songs out of it. I did it purely because I couldn't get good songs out of any other way of doing it. I was just too bruised at the time. Right. And I was doing that more for self-therapy in a way, you know, yeah. let's just, you know, let's, let's get a pad of paper and just write some stuff. 
and then when I started to be able to turn some of that into songs that was you know that was just that was a bonus in a way it's it's amazing how like the process is progression you know what I mean like Mm. or in like and because so much of just having the practice or maybe the practice is progression I don't know um, I don't know which one I want to stick to yet, um, but that's the process, <laughs> right? Like yeah. so much of just doing the thing is like, just, I, I, I definitely relate to that. And like, that's an amazing, like just habit to have now. Does that like pan out for like when you're working on a documentary, like, uh, or, or like a, with novel writing or do you like, is this strictly well, the novel kind writing, of just... I, uh, yeah, I think with the novel writing, the problem was, I think, I was trying too hard to control the the, the process. Yeah. And when I come back to it, I want to go more into the the stream of consciousness stuff. Mm. And I mean, with the stream of consciousness stuff, you rarely get fully formed songs. I mean, time slipping, that was I literally pressed record, and I had twenty two minutes of yeah, yeah, yeah stuff, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then I went through it line by line and and transcribed it afterwards. And then I went through it. For, I mean, for weeks and weeks, I went through and tried, which bits can I lose? It's too long. And right. having to get rid of stuff, you know, I, I changed very little. We changed the key. We changed the register and stuff. And we just took stuff out, basically. But it rarely comes that anything's fully formed. You know, you get the the building blocks come through the stream of consciousness stuff. And then you still have to sit down and work at it. Don't you? Right. I mean, it's rare that the whole thing gets handed to you on a silver platter. It has happened. Um, yeah. I think it has happened a few times where a song comes out and I go, wow, that's, you know, that's fully formed pretty much. But it, most of the time you still need, you know, you still need to put the finishing touches to it. Right. That's, I don't know. That's like, cause I, I found myself doing the, the same, a similar type of like a write every other day, just record for an hour yeah. and that's it. No, no pressure. And then at the end of like three months, I'll be like, oh, that was something. And like, that's been, really cool. That's a cool way of doing it. Thanks, man. Like, uh, I don't know, like, because uh, I'm... I might steal that <laughs> because my discipline is really crap. And maybe if I do that an hour every other day, that's a really good idea. Right. Okay. Sorry, you carry no, on. I'm no, that. no, I'm, it's I'm, all right. I'm writing it's... that down. <laughs> Beautiful. This is what this is. This part of this whole, like, I want to talk to people is, like, to learn stuff like that. And, like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I need, like, to, like, sit down and just write crap let it go away and just come back yeah. and be like, Oh, that, that actually was kind of a catchy bit. That can probably be a, be a fill in the blank. And I've asked yeah. a lot of people, I always ask about process cause I'm, I'm looking for nuggets to try to fine tune that process or, or, or re reinvigorate to make it like seem brighter or a different direction for myself. And like, yeah. um, and most people are, no one usually goes into it. So I really appreciate this bit of this conversation. <laughs> like they're like, I don't know. I'm right. fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. I'm absolutely fascinated by how different musicians write. And like when I, John Murray, who, you know, my, my friend John is one of yeah. my favorite songwriters. He's alive at the moment. And he, he can't understand how I do music and words. Like my brain works on them totally separately. And at the last minute sees if I can put them together. He says he has to do it all at the same time, or it just doesn't make sense to him. Right. So it's it's interesting how different people do it in very different ways. Yeah, like I relate more to that way. I, but because because I, I I come from like I'm a guitar guy. You know what I mean? Like I mm. vocals forever for me it took record. Uh, la, la, la. Let me try it again. You know, you know I mean, it took so yeah. much like before I even trusted what came out of my mouth. You know, it took so much yeah. preparation. 
Did, did you find that for you, or were you more like the vo- the voice just fell out? <clears throat> I was more more vocal guy. My yeah. guitar playing's pretty rubbish. Um, that when the band asked me what key a new song is in, I don't usually know. <laughs> so because I just sort of I just play, right. and um, so yeah, it's I'm I'm more a vocal kind of guy. And to be honest, for me, it's it's mostly about the lyrics and the mel- the melodies. Come, I stumble across all my melodies randomly because I don't know what I'm doing with the guitar. I love, love, love sitting down playing the guitar, um, but I just never learnt any of the theory or any of the scales or anything. So I'm stumbling through the dark, and that's how I find the melodies. You know, I'm just yeah. going, oh wow, what would happen if I now put that? Oh no, shit, that sounds horrible. You know, <laughs> and, I, and I try stuff out, and then the vocal melodies come, and once I've got those, then. The, the the work for me is then often the, the the lyrics you know and getting you know and that often now starts with the stream of consciousness but then you have to hone it and and make it all sit properly right right not like in in a way like it's almost like playing um, stream of conscious too you know mm, mm. totally and I think that's you know I I, I think the guitarist who who, we're, who I'm working with now Joe Harvey White he's there was a few times on these, even these install gigs where he would just go off on one on the solo and we'd, we'd all look at him and, and he was like, he was in another place and just out there. And you just, we'd all look at each other and go, well, nod at each other when he's come back. Oh yeah, Joe's back <laughs> in the room. Okay, we can go to the next verse. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. You know, it was, it was amazing. And um, we, did a, we did a really interesting, very weird recording when we finished the record, I said to, he came in to do a day or two of pedal steel, um, and I said, "Look, we're going to do one more day." And he said, "Well, what are we doing?" And I said, "I'm not going to tell you. Just turn up." <laughs> and I'd found this um, collection of poetry yeah. and prose that I'd written 20 years ago, and I had this mad idea of doing a spoken word piece. So I had um, Joe was there on his pedal steel with all his pedals you know, plugged in and Ollie Baston, our producer had a piano set up and that was rooted into the mixing desk, you know, via the mics and stuff, but was also rooted via Joe's effects loop. And then he had a bunch of synthesizers, a Mellotron, all sorts of stuff set up. And they just started this mad ambient jam. And I read this very dark, heavy, sort of poetry over the top of it and it was the for me it was the most fun i had with the whole record because we had no ambition we had no idea what it would sound like we didn't really care we just wanted to do it and it turned into this crazy ambient um i think it's yeah it must be over 10 minutes long maybe longer maybe 20 minutes long and it's this mad recording with this you know the spoken word piece over the top and when we finished it, we went, that was really cool. And then Joe came back and said, well, I've got this experimental filmmaker who films everything on Super 8 and then yeah. puts it through weird effects and prisms and, you know, kaleidoscopes and stuff. So we, we handed this guy the audio and he's just come back with this mad movie that he's made for it. And that kind of stuff, that freeform weirdness, I have no idea what will happen with that thing. It's coming out this summer. Yeah. I have no idea who is going to be into this. But for us, making it was the most fun thing, you know, because yeah. you just didn't know. And there was no, you know, a rock song has to be, a, or should in theory be 
a certain length and have a verse and a chorus and whatever. This mm. was just like, I don't, I don't know, man. let's just do whatever sounds cool and, and see what happens. So, yeah, that was, that, I like that sort of stuff. I like that sort of freeform stuff. That's it's so freeing though, you know. Like I don't. Mm. There's like it, it's in the, it's in the free form, you know. It's freeing, like and like the nowhere it's not gonna go. But to some degree, to be able to do that type of thing, to mm. or even appreciate it, you have to have like kind of like a knowledge of the form, and knowing yeah. that you're breaking it but bringing it in, like it's all because like that. I, I as far as who's that gonna appeal to? I think it's. It's the the heady guys that are like reading, you know what I mean, like reading free form poetry and being like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and the weird thing was that for us, or for me as the as, you know the instigator in a way, was I'd sort of you know you always think about God, what's my audience going to be? Are they going to like it? Or who am I going to reach with this? And in a weird way, I sort of that piece has already done its job because it. it it, we all got really into it in the room. It was just me, Ollie, Greg was filming it actually, and then you know the musicians and the engineer, and we all came away with it. And we were sending messages back and forth, going, "Man, that was just the coolest thing we've done in a while," and that was kind of reward enough. I don't really know where you go from there with something like that, but yeah. it's having the the freedom to do something like that. I don't think without the lockdown, I don't think I would have ever got to something like that. You know, I would have been straight onto the next track and, you know, the next EP and the next tour. Whereas there was just this little pause. So you could just do some, do some weird shit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that there's almost like this kind of like nervous, like that you gotta be, you gotta be confident to do like a free form thing like that and commit to it. You know, like that's, that's kind of nerve wracking just to be like, whatever. Yeah. In but life. I just think it's it's so, um, I mean, it, I don't know, when you hear it, when you see these visuals, they're so mad. Yeah, who's it's, the guy who did it? You just, it, it's um, a guy called Julian Hand. Okay. He does mad, mad three, um, 360 degree weird stuff for, for various bands at the moment. And this one isn't, this is just a, a video and he's mostly shot on Super 8, old Super 8 cameras. And, you know, and then he's got some old archive footage of some weird biological experiments in the 1950s of some tiny microscopic creature called the Hydra. And he's put <laughs> that in there with weird effects. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just crazy. That's amazing. Very psychedelic. Yeah. <laughs> but I just loved doing it. It was just something different, you know. I mean, the guys who were in the band with me going, right, now you've lost us, Felix. I don't know what the fuck you're doing now. <laughs> but, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And, <laughs> you know, that's that's all that matters at this stage. Um, with the next kind of batch of tunes, are, are, are there going to be more like, you think, uh, experimental stuff like this involved? No, I think I'm keeping that separate. I think okay. that is, Curse of Lono is, is, is a vibe. And I think it, I've, uh, it's weird. I don't feel like I've created a vibe. I feel like I've been searching for a vibe with Curse yeah. of Lono. Okay. And I think on, on the new album, People in Cars, it's the closest I've got. And especially the, the last, um, you know, the new single and the single before that, Stepping Out and In Your Arms, which weren't the big instant songs that people went for, but they were very intimate. And bizarrely, they're the ones that radio picked up on over here. Yeah. And it's that that kind of vibe, I think, is... I always find an album, when by the time you finish a record, you find your groove and you find your sound yeah. again. And... I think the next album will start off there 
and then where where it goes from there, who knows? Right. But I think the experimental stuff. I like the idea of every now and then just throwing something in there, putting it up on Spotify or YouTube, and just throwing people a bit of a curveball <laughs> and seeing if people Stay go with, with it or it, not. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think that's the direction I'm going to take Kurt Alono in. It's just a thing we did, you know. And we might do another one. We might not. Who knows? But it was just. It was just a bit fun. Because it kind of, I don't know, kind of, kind of goes along with the Hunter S. Thompson, you know what I mean? Like yeah. diving into it, that's why I was like, "Oh, is this kind of what that's gonna be?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I love about it is like the more that you're 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 getting this, this this vibe of the group that you're more appealed to, and what's interesting is it's kind of pulling back these layers of you, and you're kind mm. of it's almost like you're you're connecting more with yourself, and that's what people are are tuning into. So I think for this I think next so. match is really going to be cool. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. And I, I, I don't know. It's really weird. I'm, I'm sort of um, weirdly less ambitious. I care less about mm. whether it, whether people like it, and whether I get to play bigger venues, and whether you know the radio plays it, and whether Mojo gives me four stars, five stars, or three stars. I just care less about that. I just just don't and i i'd like to tell you that i never cared but i did and of course i still do i still get a kick when you get a good review of right. course you do but but it's less about that now it's more about i'm playing with such great musicians i'm i'm in awe of ollie our producer and um you know the the engineer who made the record with us ian berryman he does all the you know the kings of leon arcade fire wolf right. alice you know, he's he's in the room with some really big, big bands. And when those guys go, that is fucking great. At that point, I sort of, you know, when I listen back and I go, yes, that's honest. That is exactly what I was trying to say. That gives me a kick now. So I think that makes a difference because if if your big aim is to sell a bigger show out or to do a bigger tour or to get more airplay, that's in the back of your head when you're writing and performing and, and recording. And for me, it's just not about that right now. It's just, and maybe that'll come back, but at the moment it's just about, is it going to make me feel good when I listen back to this? And what are the other guys who I really rate, the people I look up to, what are they thinking about it? You know, if I'm making them smile or dance or cry or whatever, you know, then, then that that's pretty good, pretty good for me. Yeah, and I can't think of a more beautiful note to end on. <laughs> so Felix, thank you so much, man, for your time today and for letting thank you me so much. pick your brain. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed diving into I really enjoyed it as well. That that was really good. But you have to tell me, so what's your band called? I play in a band called C Level, letter C Dash, and we are a funk punk reggae rock group uh, that does a lot of uh open tuned guitars ran through martial amps. <laughs> like That sounds awesome. I'm gonna check that out straight after this. 